What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast, and I am joined with special guest, scoreboard investor. We go over retail investing, his experience in investing, how he views the market, how he views various inflation times, such as now, and some advice for new investors getting into the game. Be sure to tune in and listen to this. And remember, as always, everything you hear in this podcast is strictly the opinion of myself, Brandon, the host, and scoreboard investor. Both of us are not financial advisors, so as always, do not take anything we say as financial advice. And I repeat, it is not financial advice. It is not financial advice. It is not financial advice. Now, let's get into the episode. Whoosh. We are back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast. I'm joined with special guest, Joe, also known as Scoreboard Investor on both Twitter and Common Stock. Joe, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you, Brandon? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, wonderful, uh, what is it? A wonderful Tuesday night. I got a little tacos in me, uh, ready to talk a little shop. Um, so, why don't you tell me about yourself? Uh, how did you, uh, I guess, get into the content game? And uh, yeah, when did you start investing? Yeah, so um, the content stuff kind of started. I uh, was in a job where, you know, didn't really feel like I was getting a ton of engagement, you know, or personal fulfillment from work. Uh, so I was looking for something outside of work to, you know, kind of, I don't know, get some more interaction and, and personal fulfillment. And I've been investing for a while and kind of been observing the, the financial Twitter stuff from my personal account for a while. And, you know, I was like, you know, I could, I can just share what I'm doing, you know, nothing special, nothing fancy, just flat out, you know, share what I'm doing, try to drive some interaction engagement, you know, help learn, um, teach myself, hopefully help teach some other people, what to do or what not to do, uh, kind of based what off, based off what I do. Um, so, you know, it's more of a sharing and learning type deal that it started as, um, but I've been investing for, let's see, started in 2015. So, um, did some active investing first and then kind of got scared out of that Stepped back into robo advisor for about five years or so. And then um, in 2020, kind of started doing some active uh, portfolio management again. So about two years now back into doing some active um, management stuff. Nice. That's awesome. Well, let's dial it back a little bit. So I see on your uh, Twitter bio that you're a former NCAA athlete. What sports you play? And uh, I don't know if you want to fully go into it, but uh, where where'd you go to school? Yeah, so I played football, um, just Division three, so nothing special. But, uh, yeah, I went to Case Western uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, played offensive tackle, did that. So Nice. Yeah, um, so I'm actually a, an NCAA athlete as well. I ran track and cross country at the University of Memphis. So oh, wow. uh, athletes in the house, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, athletes yeah. and athletes. <laughs> yeah, and then and then you're also an engineer, which is interesting because uh, I'm an engineer by trade as well. So, 
Um, you know, we're both kind of, uh, I guess we got the athletic background. So, you know, that kind of instilled the work ethic and the discipline and things like that. But we both don't really have traditional, uh, you know, more, I guess, investing finance backgrounds. Uh, but we both kind of find ourselves in this investing financial Twitter common stock realm. Um, so how did you, I, I guess, find yourself here? Um, how did you even find out about investing? Was there somebody like in your past that kind of told you, hey, like, this is a good way to grow your wealth? Or, um, you know, did you just find it on your own? Yeah, so kind of from a young age, <clears throat> my uh, dad always like kind of stressed, not frugality, but, you know, paying yourself first and was always talking about, you know, once we got jobs to take advantage of 401k and things like that. So that's really where I got started. Um, and then Case had a, has a pretty strong finance program. So, you know, had some friends that were in, you know, finance majors that kind of shared in school, some investing and, you know, budgeting principles and stuff. So kind of was that base understanding that it was out there. Um, and then some friends after we graduated started getting, that's when Robinhood was really, you know, kind of getting launched back in 2015. And so some friends were in Robinhood. And so I kind of started there. And then um, my wife's family is very big, um, like generational investing, um, where they've been investing going back to like her great grandfather, like in the 40s. Um, so that's kind of been handed down. So she had like a small portfolio when we got married. So at that point we kind of combined everything. Um, and then that's kind of the portfolio that I'm actively managing now. I took everything from my wealth front, lumped it in over there and then took what she had. And then now we're kind of building that together. Nice. That's awesome. So it sounds like you got, uh, I guess almost some built-in mentorship, um, slightly from, uh, you know, your wife's family. So that's awesome. Um, so you so you mentioned uh, a little bit already about the robo advisors. So why don't you get into that and kind of like your experience using one of those because that's actually kind of similar to how I got my start. I started with uh, Acorns, and uh, that's how I usually recommended uh, you know friends and family get into investing initially, just because it's it's easy. You don't have to think about it, and uh, a lot of times you know they 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 do like these things called roundups or whatever, where you can just invest very small amounts. So uh, how did you find out about robo advisors and uh, what was your experience like using one? Yeah. So I don't remember exactly how I used Wealthfront. Um, I don't know if it was a recommendation from a friend from school or if I read it in like uh, morning brew or something like that. But um, you know, I was in doing like stock picking in Robinhood and kind of got scared away from that. So learning about the robo advisors where you could, you know, invest money, fill out the initial survey and they would kind of do everything for you um, was really appealing for me because I knew I wanted to stay invested, but I didn't want, you know, to didn't feel like I had the time to do the deep dives and do all the stock picking and, you know, the whole buy low, sell high, like all the very high level, what people, people think investing is, you know, from the outside, I was like, this is way too much for me. Um, so I got in, you know, set up a Wealthfront account. 
Um, actually wrote a post about this last weekend or two weekends ago on common stock um, to show how little I knew about investing at the time. I wanted to set up either a Roth IRA or a taxable brokerage, one or the other. I ended up setting up the other type of account. So I was like, oh crap, now I got to go back in and set the other one up. So I had created two accounts then, but at the time now, you know, kind of thankful for that because I was able to build, you know, kind of both of those uh, simultaneously. But I mean, the robo advisor experience was pretty good. Um, decent growth. I mean, not anything earth shattering, but helped learn about the markets, you know, what kind of macro events cause things to go up and cause things to go down. Um, Cause you know, the thing with the robo advisors, everything's ETFs. So they're not investing in individual companies. Um, so you have kind of like that broad market exposure in your portfolio through robo advisors. So you can see what the broad macro events kind of affect your portfolio. So it's kind of a good way to build slowly and kind of learn in the background. Um, and then the other thing that was cool is if you have under X amount uh, in your accounts, you don't have any sort of management fees or maintenance fees. And then if you send out your referral link, you can get more managed for free. So especially Wealthfront started like a cash account, like a high yield savings, which was really nice, you know, could send that link out to some people, you know, just for savings accounts. And then that would count towards your investment portfolio. So ended up getting out of that with, you know, never having to pay a advisory fee. So uh, that worked out pretty well. I know a lot of people have some concerns about the the fees that they take out as far as robo advisors. Yeah, I think uh, you know, I think a big benefit of the robo advisors is that there is generally speaking like minimal fees, uh, especially compared to like an active manager. Um, so uh, I think it's pretty interesting that you kind of started there as well. Uh, I think more and more people are kind of. Uh, starting in the robo advisor world just simply because like you said it's it's a little intimidating if you don't know anything about it uh you maybe don't trust yourself uh and you want to get get invested but you know learn in the background um before you kind of get started just diving in your money into individual stocks or maybe you dove into individual stocks and got burned and uh decided this is maybe a safer route while, until you learn a little bit more um so then, then you went from uh, you know Wealthfront to holding individual companies, or did you just uh, kind of implement the same portfolio but still go ETF route? Yeah, so um, I kind of kept my Wealthfront separate for a while. Uh, we had converted my wife's account to a joint account uh, right like at the height of the pandemic, um, and she had used you know, was able to use a lot of the money and stuff in there to pay out off like student loans and stuff. So the only holding left in there was um, Comerica, which has been talked a lot about common stock, you know, common stock people are interested in that position. And I have a pretty big story I'm going to be putting out um, that they asked me to write up on my Comerica position. But um, so it was kind of trimming that back, adding new, um, capital, you know, my goal at first was to not trim that position at all, just try to add capital to balance it out. Um, but as far as like the template that I got, I don't know if you ever heard of PPC Ian, Ian Lopuk. Um, he's a 
pretty big, I guess, like dividend growth investor. Um, and my father-in-law had sent me something from him. So I read it. He had a really nice spreadsheet, like everything laid out as far as his, you know, companies, you know, his target, you know, equity sectors, um, you know, things like that. So I kind of used his template as far as like portfolio structure to make sure that I was like diversified because I felt like that's, I wanted to make sure that I was as defensive as possible, um, you know, kind of starting this portfolio of individual stocks. So that's kind of how I started kind of following that template and, um, you know, picking individual stocks, trying to be diversified, ended up, I think, getting way too diversified. Um, I was so focused on not having all my eggs in one basket that I think I spread myself out way too thin. Um, so now we're working to, to reel that back in. Um, but then I ended up after a year or so, uh, ended up closing my wealth front accounts and rolling all those assets in, um, to this other account. And then I set up a Roth IRA self-directed and rolled that wealth front in there too. So now it's pretty balanced, uh, between individual stocks and ETFs in both accounts. Um, so kind of nice to have that core ETF stuff and then be able to do the, you know, more exploratory individual stock picking on the outside. Nice. Well, you brought up diversification. Let's get into that a little bit. So you said that you thought that you got too diversified, um, which is pretty interesting because I think uh, a lot of times now, uh, you know, diversification is kind of a good buzzword. You know, a lot of people uh, let you know that uh, diversification is a good tool to help uh, maintain your wealth and not lose any of it where, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, if you focus a little bit more, you might, if you pick the right company, you have uh, obviously more upside. Uh, so why do you think you were too diversified? And, uh, I guess what's your viewpoint on diversification now? Do you kind of view it as, uh, you know, as something that you need to have just minimally, or are you still, um, you know, still trying to focus on diversification on your portfolio going forward. Yeah. So I think as far as diversification goes, I'm a big proponent of it. I think it has its purpose. I think a lot of the conversations I've had recently, you know, with more technical investors, you know, common stock, they talk about, you know, once you hit more than like 19 individual holdings, you kind of start diminishing your returns. But, um, I think my problem was instead of letting positions build, I just added new positions. You know, every time that I had new capital, instead of adding it to existing positions, I was starting new positions. So within like a year I had added like, I don't know, started probably somewhere 25 to 30 new positions. Um, So, you know, while I wasn't really building any positions, um, and nothing was really growing. So kind of felt that I had, I was spread too thin, you know, having only a share or five shares here instead of, you know, taking all that capital and building up, um, you know, kind of learned my lesson there. So with the self-directed Roth that I started last year, I've been really focused on 
adding and starting new positions slowly. So a lot less diversified, allowing myself time to build stuff up before I start a new position. I actually started doing something I call my birthday buys. So I only start new positions the week of my birthday every year. Um, instead of like over the course of the year, just starting new positions whenever I felt like it. That's um, kind of helping me rein in kind of my over diversification. You know, it's planned, staged out, you know, this time every year, I'll add one or two new positions and kind of slowly and steadily um, increase my diversity and then allow me to, you know, build positions over the course of the year. Nice, nice. That's a good strategy. That's an interesting one. I haven't really heard of that one before, but, uh, you know, I've, I've heard of people who evaluate the portfolio like once a quarter or, you know, by uh by yearly or yearly so uh, i guess it, it definitely makes sense to do it that way it kind of just keeps you on a schedule uh so how do you find these individual companies and uh how do you determine you know whether or not you're going to i guess uh buy a share do you buy shares and then do research or uh you know switch up that order a little bit yeah so being an engineer um really big on using spreadsheets and things like that and wanted to try to take as much emotion out of investing as possible. So I built, you know, like a scorecard tool, I call it, um, where, you know, I have five KPIs that I track and then based off the aggregate score from those KPIs and everything's on like a binary scale, you know, zero or one, I have some half points in there too, but you know, the highest, on my active portfolio, the highest number on that scorecard is where I will deploy capital. Um, and then as far as like my watch list, any company that, you know, hearing conversation that sounds interesting or, you know, somebody recommends things like that. I have the same kind of scorecard built for my watch list where I can just have, you know, a huge sheet of a bunch of different companies just constantly refreshing, updating where I have all that information and, you know, can kind of see where my top holdings on my watch list are. And then um, depending on where I am in my portfolio. So like, for example, this year um, in January for my taxable account, you know, the only sector that I wasn't in that I wanted to be was like railroads. So I picked, you know, my highest railroads stock on my watch list. And that was Norfolk Southern at the time. So that's what I made my birthday by. And then um, then over the course of the year, you know, as I have capital available, whatever on my active holdings is highest on that list is where I'll continue to deploy. And one of the metrics that I track, I call my conviction score, which is pretty much the overall, all the research and everything that I've done, learned about is kind of like my score for that. So I give it like a high, medium, low rating. So that's kind of where my research um, falls in. Everything else is, you know, like valuations and price movements and dividend yields and things like that. Nice. That's uh, pretty interesting. So it seems like you're almost like momentum investing over time. Uh, is that kind of, uh, I guess, a good descriptor of, of your strategy? Like when uh, you see your stocks that you've already purchased go up, you just kind of keep adding to it? Yeah, it's kind of, I guess, momentum would be a good um, description. And then also, 
I look at valuations too. So kind of merging that, you know, momentum plus still having something that's relatively, you know, value based, you know, um, and then also looking at dividend yields pretty much to break it down. It's like continually iterating on the same portfolio to make incremental small improvements and gains um, kind of again, an engineering mindset where, just continually making small improvements, making small improvements, you know, not trying to do anything to, to rock the boat and do anything drastic. I gotcha. Do you use any tools to kind of help you evaluate or is it all like self-made spreadsheets? So right now and up till now it was self-made, but um, with common stock giving us that Coifin, you know, opportunity to do the Coifin subscription and playing around with that and i sat in on the they had like a demo the other day uh they have that on youtube i think but um there's a lot of powerful tools in there and i'm at the point now where i feel like i've been in this for a few years now i feel like i can start to branch out a little bit and kind of take off more pieces of the investing puzzle so i think that'll be a really good resource to kind of look into different metrics and kpis you know kind of look into different things where I can, you know, kind of continually evolve, you know, my strategy. I gotcha. That makes sense. I mean, you know, as investors and as, uh, I guess, students who have, you know, mostly self-taught a lot of this and a lot of this, uh, you know, stock and investing stuff. I mean, it makes sense to just be a constant learner, constantly updating and uh, yeah, trying to divulge new information. So um, on that note, uh, how are you viewing the current times? Uh, we're in a very, very inflationary time. Uh, you know, many people uh, describe it as, you know, extremely odd and, and stuff that not many investors have seen before. Um, so you and I were not investing during the 2008 pandemic, but um, sounds like we're both old enough to kind of, uh, or not pandemic, our recession, I'm sorry. Uh, but we were both old enough to experience it or be old enough to kind of be aware of what all was going on. Um, and so, uh, you know, whether families, your family was hit or not, or, or friends uh, around you were, were kind of, uh, you know, aware of it, at least you were aware of the situation. Um, do you think that that has kind of, uh, I guess, shape the way that you're investing um, right now? And uh, how are you viewing this uh, very inflationary time? Like, are you changing up any strategies when you see, uh, you know, the CPI prints come out and then be like eight and a half percent? Not really changing anything as far as investing. Um, like I said, I, I've tried to be very defensive. Um, so, you know, bigger sector allocations are in like consumer package goods and things like that. Um, so I think my portfolio is already kind of built to handle situations like this. So I haven't really changed anything as far as what my strategy is. Um, biggest thing right now is just, you know, budgetary wise and having with the rising inflation, having the money available to continue to, to put in and invest. That's, that's the biggest effect right now. Yeah. It's just uh, always needing more money to invest. Right. Um, 
you can never have enough, it seems, or at least for me. Uh, I'm always researching new companies and things like that, and I always want to put in more money, but, uh, you know, you got to live every now and then, and mm-hmm. it seems like uh, living is getting a little bit more expensive by the day. Um, so uh, since you've started investing, uh, have you seen, uh, I guess, any sort of lifestyle change that you've uh, implemented? Do you kind of find yourself being a little bit more frugal than than maybe you were in the past um or any habits maybe not eating out as much uh etc yeah definitely more frugal um i think i was relatively frugal before but just very um expense conscious and the other thing just like i really like thinking about investing in investments like your personal interactions you know, with companies. So it's like always having that antenna up, like, okay, you know, Apple, I'll, you know, use it every day, you know, going to target, um, home Depot, you know, like the daily businesses and brands that I interact with that I know that I'm invested in, you know, I think that's really been a big like change in my mentality is, you know, paying attention to those things you know, talking with other people, you know, in different fields and different professions, you know, what kind of equipment do you use? You know, who are your suppliers, who are your customers? Like, what are your relationships like with them? Um, That's kind of really been a cool change in the way that I think about things and interact, Um, you know, kind of puts a whole different lens and perspective on the world that we live in. Yeah, it's kind of like the Warren Buffett style, right? So he's always, uh, I don't know how much you, you've looked into him or if you have at all, but his style is always you know, look around and look at the products you use daily. And uh, those are generally the good companies to invest in because if you find them uh, useful enough, you obviously believe in their products enough to use them daily or on a semi-frequently or frequent basis. Uh, so probably would be a good company to invest in because you're probably not the only one that's doing that. So um, yeah, overall, just a, just a good strategy to, to do that. So is that kind of the only way you find companies? Uh, you mentioned a railroad company earlier, so uh, I have a feeling you're not using a rail or a train uh, daily, but I could be wrong. Um, so how do you find uh, companies that you're looking to invest in? So a lot of it, um, I have kind of, you know, ever since I started getting into really more seriously the last two or three years, subscribing to like a lot of newsletters and things, um, you know, <clears throat> get involved in, you know, Twitter and things like that. There's always write-ups and articles about companies and, you know, different companies and things like that. Um, so, you know, I use those kind of tools to kind of build watch lists Um having a lot of friends that are in industry, you know, other engineers and things like that, knowing their companies, you know, kind of following them, tracking them. Um, And then also, you know, being an engineer, being involved in industry, knowing companies that we use services that we use, um, you know, railroad, we, you know, had the facility that I work at now, you know, we have a railroad that comes through the facility, you know, fill rail cars and material and, so, you know, kind of just looking in that space, you know, what are the major railroad freight companies, you know, this is something that's being used by, you know, industrial places and then kind of building that list, looking at, 
industry peers. You know, if you look at one company, you know, a lot of sites will show the peers. So then you can kind of put, take all those and throw them in my watch list and kind of see how they perform. Gotcha. Well, you don't have to get into specifics necessarily, but uh, what kind of uh, engineering are you in? Yeah, so um, I'm a chemical engineer is my degree. Um, worked in coatings and then worked in plastics. I actually took a new job that will be starting next week, which will be in consulting. Um, so kind of a, a career pivot there where I'll be getting exposure to more broad-based um, engineering and manufacturing and industry. So that'd be pretty cool. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, it's interesting. One of uh, the, the last interview that I had with uh, my buddy, John Lidesey, uh, he also just recently went through a job change. Um, and so we kind of went into a little bit of the macro, but I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're all, uh, investors in our own right. And we all are, uh, you know, still, you know, have our nine to five jobs and, and things like that. So, um, you know, whether you're investing uh, for your day job or investing on the side, uh, I think everybody has a, a little bit uh, something unique to bring to the table. Um, but anyway, uh, off the off the little soapbox, what was it like uh, going through the uh, going through like a job transition during uh, a time like this? Because uh, you know, many are calling it the great resignation where a lot of people, especially, uh, you know, people probably around our age, um, you know, are, are not necessarily staying at one job for a lot longer and, and trying to move up. They're kind of bouncing around a little bit, uh, maybe even doing some career pivots like you are. Um, so what was it like going through there? And uh, do you think, uh, you know, was the experience like any different than when you got your first original job? Um, I mean, I'll say that the job hunt, job search, the whole process from front to back is grueling, you know, starting to get out there, you know, coming to the realization, okay, I want to start looking and then getting your resume updated and all that. And just starting to look for, for opportunities that you'd be interested in. It's nice when you have recruiters that contact you, which definitely I feel has picked up recently and, you know, kind of this great resignation era. Um, but you know, kind of looking in your area, things you're interested in, just going through and applications, rejections, applications, rejections. It's not, it's not all, you know, uh, sunshine and rainbows when it comes to this great resignation where it's just, okay, apply to any job and you're just hired, you know, still a long process, you know, a lot of interviews, talking with a lot of different people. Um, you know, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster, but and at the end of the day, if it's something that'll better you and better your career, then then it's worth it. Yeah, for sure. So, um, have you seen? Uh, I guess even your your previous employer um, now have have you seen anything different, or have they done anything? Uh, I guess maybe to entice employees more, whether that's uh, you know adding days off or vac paid vacation or, uh, I don't know, increasing 401k match. Has there been anything that you've noticed uh, change of business wise uh, there as far as employee relations? And then has there been anything that you've noticed um, change of business wise that have been, you know, changed due to inflation, whether it's, you know, supplies or, or anything like that? Because I think uh, we're in a very unique time for businesses 
right now um, where, you know, it's like, like we said, it's, it's the great resignation. It's hard for them to keep employees uh, necessarily. And uh, maybe there are increasing benefits and other things to try to entice employees to stay. And uh, then at the same time, it's, you know, getting a little bit harder to run businesses as supply chains still feeling the, the, the hurt from the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, whether you're in engineering or in anything like that, uh, you know, gaining supplies, uh, always changing in price these days, um, just simply because, you know, the demand supply chain and uh, businesses being shut down for extended periods of time. And, uh, you know, they're just having trouble catching up. So have you seen any differences, I guess, in the way uh, businesses have treated employees as well as, uh, I guess, conducted their business as a whole? Yeah, so the two places I worked previously have been manufacturing, um, some pretty big manufacturing companies. So kind of change in employee benefits and, you know, you have um, hourly labor and unionized workforce, and then you have your salary professionals. Um, it's kind of difficult to make those sweeping changes as far as benefits go um, and compensation, but definitely I've seen the changes in supply chain and the supply chain struggles, um, cost of materials, cost of raw materials, competition for raw materials has been um, incredible and trucking shortages, um, you know, that whole supply chain side, I think, has made a huge impact. But kind of coming out of it now, um, you know, I had worked for another company previously, kind of at the start of the pandemic. Um, so, you know, this is the second time I've gone through this with like the great resignation, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, you know, first company I worked for, it was all still trying to push me customer to me customer demand, you know, regardless of the raw material situation. And it's interesting to see how that has evolved in the course of two years where now customers are understanding of the supply chain situation. You know, they still want their product. They still want their material, but they understand all of the supply chain crunches that are going on right now. So it's kind of interesting to see that transition from, you know, customer didn't really, care about, you know, supply chain crunches to now customers being understanding of supply chain crunches and knowing that there's probably going to be hiccups in, you know, manufacturing and, and supply um, of materials. So that's something that's been pretty interesting seeing, you know, boots on the ground being involved um, in the day-to-day manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, definitely uh, seems, you know, that everybody's becoming increasingly aware of the issues. So, um, you know, although uh, your customers may understand uh, a little bit, they might not be, uh, I guess, super happy uh, about, uh, you know, the delays in businesses and things like that. Well, let's circle back. Let's get back to investing. Um, so, uh, you know, we've interacted a little bit on uh, common stock and, and, and other places what are, uh, I guess, some of your favorite industries that you're looking into? Do you, uh, I know you kind of mentioned companies that you interact with. Uh, do you have any specific uh, industries? Uh, I know you uh, uh, posted a little bit about uh, some pet companies. I believe it was Chewy the other day. Um, but, 
you know, we had uh, Paul Sierra on previously who, who kind of went into Petco um, and comments were going back and forth on as to which one, uh, you know, might be the better company. But are you looking at any specific inter- industries uh, going forward? Um, going forward, um, not necessarily. Um, just continuing to try to round out on uh, my Roth, uh, kind of my sector diversification that I talked about. Um, really looking at, you know, I think I posted about it last week, but, um, you know, I think financials, that's a sector that I need to get exposure to in that account. Um, wish I had it. I don't have it up right now. Put up here. Healthcare um, in that account as well, and utilities. Those are the big three that I'm trying to get my plan together for where I'm going to add here coming up uh, next year for my birthday buys in that account. Um, Fat Abby, that's performed really well for me in my taxable account. And, you know, it could be a pretty strong ad for my healthcare position in my other account as well. So um, that's kind of where I'm focusing right now. I gotcha. So um, I guess uh, maybe a little bit harder of a, a question. How do you determine that uh, one of your positions is a bad position and when to get out of it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I know that's really big focus for, you know, obviously a lot of investors and really big on building routine schedule um, procedures, you know, just kind of following you know the plan and not really straying too much from it um so i set a minimum holding period for myself of three years um so you know when i start a position i don't start a huge position usually only a couple shares and then depending on how it fits in the rest of my portfolio it'll rise to the top or fall to the bottom um so my plan is you know hold for a minimum of three years and then anything that's less than, you know, a percent of my portfolio, once it's a three-year mark, I'll just get rid of it, just drop it off. Um, so then that'll kind of be continuing to add to the winners, better performers, and then naturally let the underperformers kind of fall off. Because um, if they're not performing well, I'm not going to continue to add to them. So they're not really hurting anything. Um, so that's kind of my stance. Um don't want to get too overreactive, um, you know, big on journaling and following, you know, my schedule. I have a calendar reminder I set for myself every quarter to, you know, kind of do my overarching portfolio review, see if there's any positions that need trend and, you know, make any changes to my conviction ratings. So I try to have, you know, whether that's good or bad, um, there's just what has worked for me, you know, just try to have it planned out, set out. And, you know, after three years, that's when I really make a decision if I'm going to sell or not. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I'm on common stock. It's, there's a very cool feature where you can kind of link your portfolio if you'd like. Um, And I think it's interesting here looking at it that, uh, yeah, you have, uh, I know you said you're going to get into a write-up, but it seems like outside of uh, Comerica, you only have one company that is, uh, or you don't have any other company that's above 4% in your portfolio. 
So I see what you're saying about uh, the diversification. So um, I guess give us a little preview of this write-up of uh, Comerica. How did you find this company? And uh, yeah, why do you uh, keep adding to it? Is it, uh, I mean, it seems like it's doing pretty well for you this year. Um, I'm looking at the year to date chart. Uh, year to date, it's up about three and a half percent. And in the past year, it's up 28.36%. So yeah. uh, give us a little preview of it. What kind of business is it? Like, how did you find it? And uh, yeah, why, or why is it uh, your largest uh, holding? Yeah. So this goes back to, to the account, you know, from my wife. That's um, uh, Comerica is a bank. Um, long-term, uh, long-time Detroit company. That's where my wife and her family are from. Um, so that's kind of, they had started these um, investment accounts. Her grandparents had started these investment accounts and, you know, Comerica was like a long-time family investment. So, you know, they started with a couple shares and then over years and years and years, compounded grow, um, dividends, reinvesting, uh, things like that. And, um, grew into a really sizable position. And then, like I said, you know, kind of have just been trying to balance that out with adding new capital. You know, I've trimmed that position back a couple of times, um, but still have a, a pretty significant chunk, obviously, from that. Um, and it was, you know, when I first, we first joined this account in 2020, it was beaten down. Um, I mean, I think the stock price was in like the twenties, um, pretty low, uh, back in summer, fall 2020. And then, um, you know, just recently, you know, being Detroit based and then also have a big holding in Texas and California, kind of where the big oil industries are in the United States, they're very heavily tied with the oil industry. So kind of, as you see the fluctuations in, you know, your XLE, your BDE, ETFs, you kind of see CMA track the same way. So as oil's had the big run up in the last six months or so, so has Comerica. So it's been kind of nice to see um, holding. And after it was really beaten down, continuing to hold and seeing it continue to go up. Um, but again, you know, it's a long-term uh, family type legacy holding. So, you know, a little bit of emotional attachment there. I did not. So I, I mean, bottom line, I did not, I did not pick it. It's just, we're just the benefactors of, of picking many, many years ago. There you go. Hey, I mean, it seems like it's done, uh, done pretty well for you. So, um, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just like you're saying. Yep. All right, so we'll um, we'll wrap it up with um, two final questions. So here's the first one: um, If you were to tell any of your friends who you know they come up to you and they say, "Hey, I want to get started in investing. Um, I just know that you do it." Uh, what would be the one uh, piece of advice that you would tell them to kind of get them started? Yeah, so I actually helped my brother a couple months ago. Uh, kind of posed the same question to me. He had been in Acorns for a while, but, you know, wanted to do something more. So I actually got him set up, you know, with a Wealthfront account. So that's kind of where I directed him first. Um, like we said earlier, I think it's a great tool, a great resource for people that want to get invested. 
but don't necessarily have the confidence to to step in. Um, and the other piece of advice I would say is there's a wealth of knowledge out there. If you're interested, you can go out and find it. Um, I never knew that this whole financial Twitter space was out there. You know, my whole timeline for years and years and years, just sports and, you know, <laughs> things like that. And I mean, I don't even know how it got on my radar, but I just remember like the first like person I saw tweeting about like stocks and stuff. I was like, wow, people talk about this here. Like it was just like mind blowing. Um, so, you know, my other piece of advice would be depending on how interested they are you can get as much or as little information as you want at your fingertips. Um, just kind of go out and find it. All right, cool. Well, yeah, I mean, that those are both uh, good points. So, you know, just kind of get started and uh, yeah, f- find uh, all the information you can. And uh, a follow-up question to that, and that this will be my last one is uh, how do you, as somebody that's just getting started, how do you kind of determine whether or not the information you are getting is good, because I think investing right now has been, you know, very popularized in the news, whether it's uh, investing in, you know, the next, uh, I guess, booming cryptocurrency or a a GameStop or or something along those lines. So how do you uh, tell people that kind of want to get started by trying to find the next, uh, I guess, get rich quick scheme? Yeah. Um, Really good question. Again, really applicable for the environment we're in right now. Um, my advice would be, and you know, I said many times, I'm pretty defensive. So I would recommend if there's something that you're interested in, you don't have to start with a 50, 100, 500 share position. You can start with one or two shares, especially with the low fee, no fee brokerages now. Um, barrier to entry is really low. You know, if you only have $50 to invest, you know, fractional shares, buy a company you're interested in, see what it does for a little bit. As you start to understand it, build that confidence, then maybe throw in a little bit more, add to that position or start a new position. Um, never leave yourself overexposed is my one piece of advice there you go all right joe thank you so much for your time uh why don't you tell everybody where to find you and where to find your content yeah so uh, thanks brandon for having me really enjoyed this um you can find me on twitter and common stock uh scoreboard investors the name of the account and the handle is at score bd investor couldn't spell out scoreboard investor on twitter too many characters so I had to shorten it. <laughs> there you go. I mean, hey, you got to do what you can. Um, so, all right, Joe, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for your time. I think the audience is going to uh, you know, take a lot from somebody who uh, just just the average Joe, you know, just getting in there and uh, figuring out ways to grow their wealth and uh, do it on the side of their actual uh, W-2 job. So I really appreciate it. And I think, uh, you know, the audience is really going to enjoy this one. Yeah. I hope so. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thank you.